This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. All right, brothers and sisters, we have arrived at our last study on the book of Acts. And uh, it, the book of Acts, for those that are joining us fresh for the first time, <laughs> then is often called the Acts of the Apostles, yet, as we have discovered, rarely actually mentions apostles. Most of the apostles are actually not mentioned, mainly only Peter, John, and Paul. Uh, you never hear about Matthew, you never hear about Bartholomew or Thaddeus or any of those kind of guys. Um, the main protagonist of the story is actually the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit occurs more times in the book of Acts than any other book of the Bible. The term the Holy Spirit only occurs three times in the Hebrew Bible, and each time was only with a possessive. King David says, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So the Holy Spirit was possessed by somebody else. It wasn't a indefinite art or a definite article, meaning you didn't have the phrase the Holy Spirit. You did have a spirit in the Bible. What's the spirit in the Bible in the whole testament called? The spirit of? Spirit of God. Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim. That occurs 94 times in the Bible. And you think, wow, you've already got the term the Spirit of God, well defined, shows up in chapter 1, pondering over creation, as you know, we're looking, thinking, wow, what's God going to do with all this stuff? I can't wait to get the, the ball rolling. And yet, by the time you get to the New Testament, we stop talking about the Spirit of God, and we've now got a new character, uh, that we describe the Holy Spirit. Where does that come from? We then went on a journey describing from the Second Temple period how the Jewish people began to uh, examine and ask questions of their text, of, their, of <coughs> what they understood about God, how he interacted with the world, and discovered that in the Second Temple period, the term the Holy Spirit starts to appear in other books of the Bible. Uh, other books that are not in our Bible, I should clarify. They are, however, in other people's Bibles. So the Catholic Bible, Greek Bible, Russian Bibles, Orthodox Bibles, you name a Bible, it's got a different canon, and in that canon uh, were preserved texts, Jewish texts. These are all these books that are in other people's Bibles are written by Jews. Right? None of them are written by Christians, because Christians do not exist yet. Okay? Even the New Testament is written by Jews. Right? And... Um, and so we discover that there's this character called the Holy Spirit. There's a well-developed idea of how the Holy Spirit interacts within the world. Then you get this piece of sacred history. And that is what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts, as a genre, is not, it's not a gospel. Meaning you don't read it like a gospel. For example, Acts, in Acts chapter 1, how do we choose new leadership? By casting lots. Yep. Does anybody do that to choose their new shepherds whenever their churches run out of shepherds? Nope, no one does. No one goes, well, it's in the Bible, we should do it. No, you all send your pastors off to Bible college, they all get degrees, you check resumes, you have interviews. Um, but you don't go, it's you. Okay? okay, that's not how we do it. So when we read sacred history, we understand that it's a story, but it might not necessarily be something you want to choose doctrine from. Now, if Jesus had done it that way, and it would have been in the Gospel of Matthew, that would have been a different story. 
You know, if Jesus walked around and says, right, I'm going to decide some disciples. You ready for this? <laughs> it's you. Sorry, mate. You know, it's like, um, we would then figure out that pattern and then we would do it. And so uh, we read Psalms differently. We read Revelation differently. We read different genres in different ways. We read Paul differently, do we not? The answer is yes, because there are parts of Paul where we go, oh, that's really interesting. I don't particularly like that verse, uh, so I shall not read it. <laughs> or I shall read it in a different way by saying, that's Paul. Now, if Jesus had said, I forbid women from teaching, what would we do? But because Paul said it, it's different. So when we get to the book of Acts, we have to remember it's sacred history as a genre. So we read it and we remember this is how the history uh, of the early believing movement uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit does things. Now, as a form of sacred history, it does not tell you everything. It does not tell you how the gospel went north. It doesn't tell you how the gospel went south or east. Okay? It just talks about how the gospel goes west. And so you go, okay, I've got a little bit of the story. I haven't got all of the story, I've got a little bit. And as we wrestled with some of the texts, we discovered that it, it doesn't always say things that we would perhaps like it to say, particularly that it focuses a heavily large amount on Paul. Paul goes to Jerusalem, we hear all about Paul. We hear nothing about the Jewish community of believers in Jerusalem. We didn't hear about James. Once we've finished Acts 15, we never hear about James again. Paul's in Jerusalem for several chapters in the, in the, in the 20s. But we never hear about uh, the rest of the community because it's not about that. It's about something else. Uh, and so what we did at the start of our study about a year ago is we sat in this room and we asked ourselves, what do we think the Holy Spirit does? And everybody said what they thought he did. And we wrote it up on the board. And then it came out to be something like this from the community that was there. We said that the Holy Spirit motivates us. He gives us zeal. He reveals the Messiah to us. He's a witness of God and his kingdom and what God has done. The Holy Spirit reminds us of truth, reminds us of our sins. He guides us into all truth and he gives us discernment. He conforms us into the image of the Son. He convicts us of sin. He is a counselor. He brings us wisdom and words of knowledge. He even speaks to us. He's a comforter, particularly to the lonely and the suffering. He empowers us for ministry. He pushes us to go serve the lost. He encourages us to persevere, to try and to forge ahead. He provides us signs and wonders and miracles. There is the fruits of the Spirit, things that we can actually see in other people. He helps us pray. He intercedes when we pray amiss. He indwells us. Our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. And we could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was sort of like a little list that we did. Then, as we journeyed through the book of Acts... Uh, we noted whenever we saw the Holy Spirit do something, we paid particular attention and noted what he does. And we also noted his absences when things happened without the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the result of our journey. So here we have the 40 times that the term the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. And we will go through it and have a last chance discussion thereof. But before we continue any further... We need to pray. So who would like to pray and begin our study? Father, thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity set aside to come before your word. Father, we pray you'd honour us 
by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, teach us things that we haven't seen before and reveal your character in fresh ways to us as we come before your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So any questions regarding my little introduction at the start? One question. You know, you mentioned selection of uh, Matthias. Yes. And that was by lots. Correct. Do you know if that was pre-Pentecost? So pre, because obviously Acts 30 talks about the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for work. Correct. So I was why work. But it, well, again, once the Holy Spirit reported Pentecost, the whole selection was different anyway. Okay, all right, that's a view. I'm actually going to disagree with it, but it's a view. Yes. My, my take on that, um, in Acts chapter 1, before the Pentecostal, uh, yeah, before mm -hmm. Pentecost, so I think you were operating in the principle of Proverbs where uh, the, ca the casting of the lot is from the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So they haven't entered into the, age of the, the new age of the Spirit. Uh, understanding. Uh, so that's the way I see it, and uh, I think you made an important point, really, that you know Jesus didn't—he was very selective in who he selected. Sure. And it's the same after Pentecost, uh, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Yep. For the apostolic, uh, for the work. Mm-hmm. I am fully agreeing with you. Yeah. I agree what you're saying, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm not dangerous, okay. Maybe, maybe oh, yeah. Very dangerous too. Yeah. Sorry? I say the whole thing, the European Thummim, the decision making in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, again, was different to the Pentecostal. Yeah. Yeah, you disagree with that thing? Yes. Yes, because they've already got the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, they're all, yeah, in John 20, Correct. he breathed on them, he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Correct. I understand that, they're born again of the Spirit. But they haven't received the, the baptism in the Yeah, well, why do you say, wait Jerusalem until you receive the power from there? Correct. To do they what? They already had the power. No, they had the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I get that. No, I get that. Yeah. Because yeah. there was, a, there was a, another experience in that. Then. Correct. Yeah. That I agree with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. The outpouring of the Spirit. And then, the, the selection of Barnabas and Saul as a result of the post-Pentecost experience, I would say. Ah, you see, that's the only time in the, in the, in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit does that, mm -hmm. which you would then have to say that that's, he's doing that to every single person who is called. But that's not what the text says. The text just has the Holy Spirit doing this thing. The point I'm trying to make in terms of the acts of the Holy Spirit is don't put him in a box. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is every time we try and put him in a box, mm -hmm. well, he'll do the opposite. <laughs> and what we've done, what we've seen in the, in the book of Acts is, just if we think we've made a formula, the very next time he comes, Something different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a fascinating stuff because as we've gone, I swear new verses are added to my Bible every time I read it. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? Yeah. You know, it's like I've read Matthew and then suddenly, didn't know that verse was in there before. It's like, who's throwing in new verses? And, uh, uh, yeah. So I think that uh, as soon as we try and say, well, the Holy Spirit does this, he goes, really? Oh, I'll show you something new I can do. <laughs> so, so let's have a little look and then have a good discussion and argument after. Alright, so. Sorry, I'm jumping. <coughs> no, no, that's great. Love it. The Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, first time we, we encounter the term the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we're not talking about the term the Spirit, we're talking about the term the Holy Spirit. 
Because there are other times in the text where you'll get the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus even, or just the Spirit. But the term we're looking for is the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, can I answer Yes. Well, he says, no, just to say this, for example, if we read in the Gospels and Jesus said this, we wouldn't say the Jesus said. We would say, and Jesus said. Yes. So what I'm saying is, would it be correct to say Holy Spirit gives instructions? Or... Having the definite article there, the the. Yeah. 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 So in different in Hebrew Bible, as an example, yeah. we mostly discuss this person called Satan. Yeah. And yeah. there's no definite article until you get to Chronicles. Until you get to Chronicles. Yeah. And that's the first time you get in Hebrew Ha Satan, the Satan. Oh, right. So there is a move. And in you get into Greek, the preposition in the front, it becomes the definite article, okay. the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. So well, not well, ah well, or sometimes, yes. Yeah, some people are saying you should say Holy Spirit. Yes. But it is the Holy Spirit, the only one? It's just a definite article, yes. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, in Hebrew, if you say, I see chair, an e-roe kise, that means I see a chair. I can see any chair. But no one would know which chair you're talking about. I see a chair. But if I want to, if I want to say, that, no, I'm definitely looking at this one, mm. I say, ani roe et ha kise. I see the chair. Ah, okay. So there are some times in Hebrew where you will see no definite articles, and we're talking about something generic. Mm. There are other times you do get a definite article where they're really trying to say, no, 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 this is something. And in, once you get into the late Second Temple period, or places like um, Chronicles, which is late sec first temple period, um, you begin to discover that they're putting definite articles on everything, mm. uh, and so uh, yeah, trying to say no, 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 there is there is a thing called a Satan, and there is a thing called a Holy Spirit. There is very much a, a person. And yes. What does he do? Like the Shekinah, Hashchinah, not just a Shekinah, the Shekinah. And, uh, yeah. So Acts chapter 1, verse 2, we encounter our first reference to the Holy Spirit, where we discover that uh, the Holy Spirit gives instructions to the disciples through Jesus the Messiah. So the instructions are given through the medium of another person. So the initial time we encounter the Holy Spirit, he's talking to people through other people, not through direct communication. Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says that Jesus says, please wait in Jerusalem for you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Which is an interesting expression because they already have the Holy Spirit since the upper room in John 20. Now, in Christian tradition, when we, when we discussed this a long time ago, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, a, a, a Christian, Western Christian, thinks that this occurs how many times? Right. This sort of one-off event. But who's talking? A Jewish guy. Who's listening? Jewish people. If they heard the term baptism, what are they thinking of? They're thinking of a mikveh. They're thinking of a, a cleansing. Or there are lots of different types of baptisms in the mikvod. You go into the, into the uh, water and you are fully immersed. 
right? In the Holy Spirit. You are totally covered in this thing, top to bottom. And then, when you come out, you are changed. You are not the same as when you went in. So if you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's going to be different. You will come out different. Also, how many times do you get baptized in Jewish tradition? As many times as you like. So when, when someone's thinking or hearing, you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the West, we think all oh, that occurs once. But in, for Jewish people, how many times can you get baptized? Many times. Many times. And that's the reason why in the book of Acts, you'll see times when Paul, who's already been baptized, already has the Holy Spirit, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. You mean he wasn't before? What happened now? There's sometimes when the Holy Spirit can come and fill you up. So you can have the Holy Spirit, and then you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the blessing is, that can happen a lot. And wouldn't it be nice if that happens to us a lot? In fact, that is exactly what we want. Because sometimes we get tired, do we not? Sometimes we feel spent and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm tired now, Lord. I just, I can't give anymore. Even Jesus said, who took the power out of me? So, and what happens? We want, we want to get rebaptized, not, not rebaptized, but want to be baptized. We want to be filled again. I want to be immersed again. So, uh, which is a wonderful thing. So if you're Jewish and you heard this, like, oh, cool. Can't wait for that to happen. Even though I've already got the Holy Spirit. Okay. I have one simple statement on that. Just looking at Jesus, that he, of anybody, was born of the Spirit. Yes. You know, actually born of the Spirit. Mm. But the Spirit that was in him had to come upon him in power. Yes. Uh, otherwise, his impact would have been yes. just on his family. In the yes. Jordan, when it came down. Yep. Yeah, in the Jordan, with John the Baptist. And, and later on in Acts, it'll say he ascended to heaven and received the Holy Spirit. You mean he didn't have him while he was on the planet? I'm sure he did because he, uh, he came at his baptism. He gets him again once he gets to heaven and then he pours him out, it says. So just when you think you've got the Holy Spirit in a box, you read the text and you go, oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, he's too big for that. So we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, praise be to God, despite already having the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's this fully immersion in Jewish tradition and it is frequent. And that actually is... A good, a good thought. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will give you power. Oh, awesome. To do what? To be a witness for the kingdom. This power will not make you immortal, nor free from sickness or suffering. As we see our heroes time again in the book of Acts, full of the Holy Spirit, still suffer martyrdom. Full of the Holy Spirit, still suffer a shipwreck. Full of the Holy Spirit, still stuck in prison. Right? And so that's a comforting thought that just because we are suffering does not mean that we are alone. It does not mean that the Holy Spirit is gone. It does not mean that we have done something wrong and that the Spirit has departed from us. In fact, it might be because we're doing something right. The new replacement apostle chosen without mention of the Holy Spirit via the casting of lots. Okay? So, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. The Holy Spirit, this is in Pentecost, comes upon males and females. Yes, in the upper room? Or actually, it's not at the upper room. Where did we say it was? On the temple. Correct, because it says the house in, in uh, Greek, which if you translate in Hebrew would be habait. Habait in Hebrew means the temple. And uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and this also includes Mary. 
right? There you go, she would have been there too, uh, walking around, uh, speaking in tongues, as promised by the prophet Joel, because this is what's quoted off by Peter, where Peter in his defense as to why is, what is happening, he says, this is the prophet Joel, where the Spirit of the Lord, there it's called the Spirit of the Lord, okay, in our Acts 2 it's the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on what? All flesh, which includes who? All flesh. And servants. And servants, rich, poor, Jews, Gentiles, males, females, old, young, everybody. And what's going to happen? They will prophesy, right? That's what Joel chapter 2 says. You will all prophesy. And that's probably the reason why in Corinthians, Paul says, I wish you could all prophesy. Right? Because that's what the prophet Joel said we would do. Okay? So everyone can prophesy. Speaking in tongues in this case was human language because they begin to discuss. Okay? Late other sections of the text will talk about heavenly language. However, in Acts, it's human language. Okay? Acts 2.22 Jesus receives the Holy Spirit when he sends into heaven, which is an interesting sentence. Despite already being filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, he then pours out the Spirit from heaven. So, again, what an interesting thing for, for Peter to say when he's giving his defense that this, this Jesus has ascended to heaven where he's received the Holy Spirit. Well, what did he have when he was down here? Um, there's, even Jesus himself receives the Spirit several times, which is interesting. Also, strange, because we're trying to figure out how... We, none of us here, I think, understand the Trinity. It's a mystery. Something we believe, something we acknowledge, something we just agree that perhaps I can't use words to describe it, the undescribable. Mm. Acts 2.38, while in the temple, we are instructed by Peter in a formula. Oh, we love formulas, especially in the Christian world. Okay? Where people ask him, what do we do, dude? I mean, we've seen the fire, we've seen people talking in crazy languages, like we're, we've, we've been shaken, we came to the temple with our sacrifice and we got this instead. What do we do? He says, repent. Right? The very first thing, repent. Repentance is a very powerful word in, in Hebrew, teshuvah. It, what does it mean? Church. It, yeah, means to return. Right? From the verb to return. If you return somewhere, like if I leave the house and I return, where am I now? Back in the house. The journey isn't the return. I left, then I returned. So it's, a bit, it's not a turn around and start heading in that direction. As we think, it's, I repented, I'm now back. I've returned to where I was. And in Jewish tradition, not in Jewish tradition, it's actually in the Bible, they borrow it from a psalm which says that God made repentance before he even made creation. Right? God says, uh, before I made the heavens and the earth, before I laid the foundations of the heaven, I said to man, Teshuvah, which we say return, but in, you could just as much easily say repent. And so, uh, Psalm 90, something, 92 maybe? It's in one of our notes, it's online. So, repent, big deal. Repent and be baptized, wonderful, for the forgiveness of sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a gift. gift. You can't earn it, can't buy it, can't trade it for something. Okay, it's a gift. Great, doing well. Then we get to Acts 3, which does not mention the Spirit at all, 
But in that chapter, we have a healing and a very powerful speech, but they're not attributed to the Spirit. Now, just because the Spirit is not mentioned, does that mean he is not acting? No. Correct. But it means that we can't say, fire a verse, the Holy Spirit did this. So we have to be careful on both hands. We can't attribute everything to the Holy Spirit. Neither can we attribute nothing. Be very careful. Okay? Some people run and they'll make the Holy Spirit basically do everything. Right? The Holy Spirit told me to put on socks this morning. Okay? As opposed to, your feet got cold, so you put socks on. Perhaps the Holy Spirit did that, but I'm not 100% sure. However, you may heal someone. Did you do it by your own power? No, it was a gift. Who did it come by? So we have to be careful. But in Acts 3, we have some powerful stuff done by Peter and some healings. You know, the man as he's going into the temple, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, get up. Yeah, great, but the actual miracle is not attributed to the work of the Spirit. Acts 4 shows the Spirit up again. Acts 4, verse 8. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Note, he already has the Holy Spirit. From now, both John 20 and Acts 2. He gives a powerful speech, a witness to the people, and to the son had dream. Okay. In Acts 4, verse 25, Peter says, The Holy Spirit has spoken through King David in the Psalms, which are prayers. You pray the Psalms. Mm. What's important to note is that the Holy Spirit has already spoken. Yes? Yeah. Think about that. He's saying the Holy Spirit has already talked to you. You've been praying his words. Right? We go, oh, we're finally, the Holy Spirit's finally speaking. And he's, like, he's already been speaking. He's been speaking in the Psalms. He spoke through King David. He's spoken through the prophets. In fact, that's going to be the last thing that, that we get in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. He's already been talking. He has never been silent. Acts 4 verse 31. The Holy Spirit again fills the believers. Many who have already filled the Holy Spirit. Okay, previously, some of them, it was in Acts chapter 2. As more people get baptized, they get given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says. Now, in Acts 4.31, all the believers are filled again with the Holy Spirit. And he gives them courage. He gives them wisdom. And they witness in Jerusalem. Acts 5 verse 3 begins to bring a different side of the Holy Spirit than we had previously seen. So far, the first four chapters, the Holy Spirit's doing wonderful things. He is filling us. He is giving us power. We have some uh, tongues. Uh, we have courage. We have witness. He, we, we discover he was never silent. He's actually been speaking even when I didn't notice. Not even It even was coming out of my own mouth when I was praying my prayers. Now, all of a sudden, we discover it is possible to lie to the Holy Spirit which has grievous consequences. In this case, death. death. Oops. <laughs> and it's interesting that does not Hebrews say, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, that's a very powerful thing to think about. The Holy Spirit is not something you can just keep inside your pocket and bring out whenever you feel like it. Uh, Acts chapter 5 verse 9 the believers these are believers who are doing this Ananias and Sapphira 
are believers. They have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They are selling their property to give to the poor and to the community. But they're keeping a bit of it. But they are doing so because they are part of the community. Believers can both lie and test the spirit, we discover, which has serious consequences. In this case, death. death. <laughs> and I'm not saying that just because someone turns around and dies, just that means that they did something about the Holy Spirit. Neither do, I, do we see people in our community dropping over dead every time they say something. Okay? So we have to be very careful. However, sacred history has recorded for us and we have preserved it in our text that there is a consequence to testing and or lying to the Holy Spirit. Ergo, should we do it? No. Okay. Miracles are performed in Acts chapter 5, but there are no, no attribution mentioning the work of the Holy Spirit. So he just says that the, the disciples run around and do all kinds of miracles. Great. That doesn't tell you who or how or what or even why. In Acts 5.32, Peter declares, this is very interesting, just because when I thought I had a formula, okay, repent, be baptized, get forgiven, get gift. Right? That's my first formula. Now he turns around and he says, in the same spot, he's still talking on the temple, he declares the Holy Spirit be a witness of the kingdom, the resurrection, and is given to those who obey him. Ooh. Hang on, you told me it was a gift. Now suddenly you're linking it to something I've got to do. This was one of the verses that I had never seen before in my life, in the Bible. Now I'd read it before, and when I got to it, I was like, what? No, that doesn't... I understand it, and I understand why Peter would probably say it, but uh, I'd never seen it before. That Peter said the Holy Spirit is given, now not as a gift, but through obedience. So the Holy Spirit is both a gift... And can be given, perhaps even and or maintained, by obedience. And perhaps, sometimes when we obey, we get an extra baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. That's not what the text says. However, Peter does say the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. So that should be a very good uh, uh, task for us. Who wants more of the Spirit? Okay, good. Then I think I should probably obey God. Okay. Yes. At the same time, he's a gift. So we have this very interesting balance, which is actually a very Jewish thing to do. Okay? They always go, on one hand it's this, on the other hand it's that. Okay. So. Is the context of that where he's saying we must obey God rather than men? So it's the obedience side of it. What Peter's saying there. Yep. So, so the Holy Spirit's given sometimes in situations, sometimes you don't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit will give you the words. It's almost like when you're in a situation like that of obedience in that. Mm -hmm. is, I, I believe the Holy Spirit steps in in a, in a new way sometimes. Correct. But you still actually have to do the action of obeying. Yeah. But I think it's specific. Yeah, it's interesting. It is, because yeah, you have the Holy Spirit. You can be yeah. baptized in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a gift, and yet is also linked to your obedience. The Holy Spirit side, yeah. the grace side of the Spirit. The well, this is what we also discover in, in, in um, Hebrews chapter 5, which is, I think, David Pleggy's favorite verse. 
you know, he mentions it a lot. Uh, Hebrews 5, it says, Jesus is, is the, has become the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. obey. Yeah. You go, hang on a second, what yeah. happened to the word believe? Believes in other verses. So you do have to believe. In the, in the also, context is uh, what Jonathan just said. Uh, they were being forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. Mm. So they said, What shall we do? Yeah, obey. Obey. And, and then I believe the Holy Spirit then supports them in that. Yeah. Obedience. It's specific. It's a specific command. It's a specific act of obedience. Yeah, yep, yep. Sorry, I keep. No, no, no. This is fine. Um, in terms of like all of our. Yeah. Why, yeah. Why, 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 uh, Hebrews 5, 9, 10, or 11. Okay. <laughs> Does anybody want to find it? <laughs> Is it? He became the source of eternal salvation. Verse 9. Verse 9. Yeah, for all who obey. Yeah. Yeah, so, because one of the things that, I mean, I've been learning as I study with, with rabbis is that um, at the time of Jesus in the Second Temple period, you didn't read the Bible. You didn't have a Bible. Right? You heard it. Somebody read it and everybody else heard. And so the words that you hear are act- and the sounds that they make are just as important as uh, the words that are not there. So if somebody was sitting reading Hebrews out to the community, like just got a scroll of Hebrews, fresh off the, off, off the press, fantastic. Anyone want to read it? Yes. Everyone gathers, one guy gets up and he begins to talk. And the Messiah has become the source of eternal salvation for all who, and most people's ears are expecting to hear, believe, I want to believe in the Messiah. But he comes out with, obey. And people would go, "Uh, wait a second, can you read that again? Because I'm sure you misread it. Isn't it supposed to be believe? No, I'm pretty sure it's obey. Okay, And so that's where the learning comes. You're going to have to obey. What happened to have to believe? Well, you better believe to obey. And if, you are, and, if, and if you're starting to obey something, you better believe it. And if you do believe it, you better obey it too. Faith that works is? Yes. In Hebrew thought, they love to keep the tension going together. And you see it. You see it in the New Testament. It's just when you think you've got it covered on one side, you're going to see something sharp on the other. And you go, oh, is this in juxtaposition? Not necessarily so. It's just part of the mystery. So uh, here... Peter declares the Holy Spirit to be a witness of the kingdom. The resurrection is given to those who obey. Obedience now becomes part of kingdom life. No mention of our previous formula. Acts 6 verse 5. Stephen is mentioned being full of the Holy Spirit. Now somehow that was visible and known by the community versus someone who was not. Okay, So remember we've got to choose a new group of people to serve the community so that the apostles can go about doing all the teaching. How do they choose their group of people? They choose them because they're full of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to someone who's not. I mean, if they're all full of the Holy Spirit, that becomes a superfluous statement, doesn't it? We're all full of the Holy Spirit. Which one are you going to choose? Somehow it was obvious. And they could go, definitely that guy. Could that evidence be the miracles and signs? Could be. As we say, you know, before you said about miracles and signs, Signs and wonders of them without necessarily the Spirit. Yeah. But that would link to that. It could be. We, we do find it that, that Stephen does do miracles and, and signs. That could be the evidence. Right? That could be the evidence. It could be other. He could have been a smart teacher. He could have been... Could it Could be. Okay, could be. But what's his actual job function? 
to serve. Correct. He's going to serve. So he's not going to go running around doing miracles. He's going to wait on tables. He's actually going to do something very humble. And perhaps, just perhaps, that's actually a very powerful part of the spirit is humility and humbleness as opposed to the more showy, flashy stuff. And perhaps when the showy, flashy stuff happens, and it does happen, the Holy Spirit decides not to get attributed to it. They say, look, don't, don't throw my name in there. Um, also, it's, I do that too, but I'm hanging out with this guy. Because otherwise you'll forget. You'll think that the only time you've got the Holy Spirit is when you're doing flashy power. And that's not true. And so here you choose a man who's going to wait on tables. He's going to give you food. Why? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's also going to do signs and miracles. That's fantastic. But here he's going to serve. So... Somehow, it is obvious to the others. Okay, and he's not alone. He's, there's a group of them. Okay, uh, he is chosen as part of a group of servants. Okay, uh, servants, deacon, diakonos, which is where we get the term deacon in our modern English. Okay, he also performs as we miracles and wonders. Okay, in Acts seven fifty one. We discover that it is possible to resist the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit isn't irresistible. Okay? He is. Some people say, ah, oh, right, the Holy Spirit took over and now I'm totally out of control. Mm. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So I'd be very concerned when, and I am, when people tell me that they're now out of control. Like, mm, I don't know if that's the right one. And the Bible says that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Yeah, that's right. Here, we are, we are challenged by... This is Stephen giving his speech to leaders of the, of the temple. You resist the Holy Spirit. He wants to do something with you. He wants to be a part of your community. He wants to give you some wisdom, but, or, or at least some humility, uh, but you can't. You resist. He, somehow he can be resisted by a human heart. Now, that's powerful. In this text, he, this is referring to the leadership. This has consequences, and it is mostly negative. Right? Lying, testing, negative consequences. Resisting, negative. 7.55, Acts 7.55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, sees a vision of heaven and then is martyred. So you can have the Holy Spirit and it does not make you immortal. Right? Some people think, okay, I have the Holy Spirit, now I am bulletproof and I can jump in front of trains. That is not true. In fact, most of the people who are full of the Holy Spirit end up dying, just so everybody knows. So, um, right? And it also starts a, um, a, a persecution and a, and, a, and a revival movement. Okay? So how, how do you want to start revival according to the book of Acts? Get killed. Okay? How's that one for your new modern missionary movement? Yeah? We want to plant a church in Jerusalem. Someone needs to die. Mm-hmm. Acts 8 verse 15. Peter and John, these are the apostles, like in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, they are the only ones who are actually running around doing stuff. They lay hands on the Samaritans and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Philip has preached. They have believed, but they did not receive the Holy Spirit. How do they get the Holy Spirit this time? Yeah. Laying hands by apostles, not by Philip. How did that? They had to come all the way from Jerusalem to come and see this thing. Just when you think you've figured out how the Holy Spirit works, he's flipped it. It was a gift. It was through obedience. Now it's through the laying on of hands. 
Acts 8, 16, so the next verse, we note that the, the Samaritans have already been baptized in the name of Jesus. So we notice they've already been baptized. They have heard from Philip. They have believed. They have been baptized. They now need the Holy Spirit uh, to come for them from a laying on of hands. The previous formula, Acts 8, 8, verse 17, no longer holds the Holy Spirit given by the laying on of hands after baptism. So, brothers and sisters, a lesson for all of us. Do not put the Holy Spirit in a box. Just when we've got ourselves a formula, Holy Spirit goes, wow, it's an awesome formula. Watch what I can do now. Another way of thinking about this is because the Holy Spirit calls the breath or the wind of God, you just think, I've got a box of the Holy Spirit in here. So you've got the wind in there, have you? I don't think you have. Yes, <laughs> he is just moving. Yes. You think you've got it in a box? Jesus. Therefore, you can't put it in a box. Yes. Because right. it's the wind. Because And he's too big for that. In Acts 8, the next verse, 8, 8, 19. Simon the magician, who's been running around um, and uh, lording it over the Samaritans, he requests the laying on of hands for the Holy Spirit. No mention whether he's been baptized as well. Right? He's trying to, to buy it. Right? Please give me this gift. Woo, I want it. <laughs> where we actually get in the Catholic Church the sin of simonry. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. okay, that's, uh, they actually have a sin where they, and they get it from this verse where you try and buy a favor from God. They will say, no, 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 that's a sin. You can't do that. Okay? And they even gave it a name, named after Simon the Magician from Acts 8.19. Acts 9.17, the Holy Spirit through Ananias heals Saul of blindness. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit prior to baptism, then he is baptized. Okay, that's the way the text flows. He is healed, then he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he goes off to get baptized. So, sometimes you are baptized, and then you get the Spirit. Sometimes you are baptized, and then you need an apostle to lay hands on you, and then you get the Spirit. Sometimes you get the Holy Spirit, and then later on you show up and get baptized. Acts 9.31 the Holy Spirit strengthens, encourages the church, which is now currently made up of Jews and Samaritans. Okay, so the community is growing, not just for Jewish people, but now also Samaritans, in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Acts 10.38. Peter, as part of his speech to Cornelius, notes that the Messiah was anointed by the Holy Spirit with power for healing and defeating the devil. Okay, this is a watershed moment. In the history of the church, we have uh, Jews going to be with Gentiles for the very first time. Okay. Uh, Acts 10.44, the Gentiles heal the gospel. Faith comes by hearing. hearing, says Paul. That's Romans 10. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Right? Acts 10.45, the Holy Spirit is again called a gift. Speaking in tongues again occurs in human languages, this time by Gentiles, right? You've got Peter and his group of Jewish people going, my gosh, look what's going on. This happened to us in Jerusalem. Now it's happening to these guys. Okay? And they, they're, they're sitting there stunned at what's actually happened. Have these guys been baptized yet? No. Acts 10.47, the Holy Spirit given as a gift before baptism to Gentiles. Once again, change in the formula. In fact, Probably we should just kick the formula out. Okay. But uh, so sometimes you have repent, believe, 
get forgiven, believe, be baptized, get gift. Sometimes maintain gift through Holy Spirit, through obedience. You can be baptized as many times as you like frequently. We should all want it. Sometimes he comes prior to baptism. Acts 11.15. Peter defends his actions of entering a Gentile home and eating with Gentiles. Now, isn't that interesting? Jerusalem summons Peter there, and they don't say, hey, we heard all this amazing stuff about the Holy Spirit and Gentiles. They actually say, is it true that you went and ate with Gentiles in their house? That's their big deal. That's their question. Right? They're full of the Holy Spirit. Just because you're full of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean, A, you're infallible. Okay? It took Peter, uh, he had to have a vision from heaven to get, get him to go to a Gentile. And an angel of the Lord spoke to Cornelius and said, go summon Peter. He's got something interesting to tell you. Angels can talk to humans, but what do angels not talk to humans about? Salvation. They don't talk about the gospel. Nope. Angel, uh, the angel could easily have told Cornelius, Hi Cornelius, we've been hearing you pray and uh, in heaven. I'm here to tell you the good news about Jesus. Angels never do that. Angels always say, you need to talk to that human. They make the arrangement, but they themselves don't, for whatever reason, are not the partakers of the gospel. Whose job is that? Our job. And we don't do it alone. Who do we do it with? Oh, the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. So we have uh, crossed the Rubicon of social boundaries. Okay. He notes that when he spoke about the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. Acts 11.16, Peter continues to inform Jewish believers that Gentiles too are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Previously, baptism had only been a Jewish practice. Right, who went into the mikveh? Jews? Gentiles never did, unless they were becoming Jews. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying, no, 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 baptism is given to them. Okay? We, are, we have crossed the Rubicon. The Gentiles are now getting it. Acts 11.24, the church in Antioch starts from nameless Jewish believers from Cyprus and Cyrene. Okay? We are not told who starts that church. Who's there? The community is both Jews and Gentiles. Okay? It's Paul doesn't start the Gentile mission. It's Peter in Acts 10 and then some nameless dudes in Acts 11. Jerusalem appoints Barnabas. He is also noted as full of the Holy Spirit. So somehow, this is obvious. Who collects Saul to assist him? Okay, one of his one of Barnabas doesn't uh, decides. Okay, I'm uh, I'm going to go lead lead the church in uh, in Antioch. I'm Jerusalem's appointment, but I'm not going to do this by myself. I'm going to find uh, Saul. Acts 12 describes persecution of the believers in Jerusalem and the martyrdom of James the Apostle. There is an angelic rescue of Peter from prison, but no mention of the Holy Spirit. Acts 13:2. The Holy Spirit can speak, not describe how he does it, and he calls Barnabas and Saul to be set apart for work. Right? The concept is worship. The community is worshipping. Then the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, previously, he had spoken through Psalms and prayers. He had spoken, but he had spoken through prophets. He had spoken through uh, Jesus. He had spoken through the text. Now, suddenly, it's a verbal, potentially a verbal voice. Doesn't exactly say how, I and mean, he could have done it through a prophet, but but the actual text says the Holy Spirit said. Would that not be implied in the text by among the, among the prophets? Like you just said, could be. Could have been a, a prophet that stood up and said, yeah. So it could have been. Okay. Not 100% sure, but it looks like it could have been that. 
Acts 13, verse 4. The Holy Spirit sends the companions out from Antioch. Okay, it says the Holy Spirit sent. Okay, great. Acts 13, 9. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and blinds, not heals, the magician. The Holy Spirit can come in the face of evil and is not always running around healing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does the reverse. So we again don't put him in a box. Okay? Right? Right? So Paul's already got the Spirit. He's been baptized. He's got the Holy Spirit. Now he's full of the Holy Spirit. And his first action is a blindness, not a healing. It is interesting. Acts 15:52. Acts 13:52. The Holy Spirit brings joy to the disciples. In this case, now it's Jews and Gentiles. Acts 14, we have a mixture of successful preaching. There's opposition, there's confrontation, and there's flight to another destination. Examples, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Miracles occur, which do not bring positive results for the gospel. In fact, in that chapter, every time there's a miracle, it always ends poorly. Okay, They always cause a big stir and everybody gets kicked out. So miracles don't save people. What saves people? The good news about the Messiah, great Jesus. Sometimes a miracle, we love miracles. But don't look for the miracle to be the thing. Like, oh, if, we, if people would only see a miracle, they'll believe. Actually, yeah. in the book of Acts, it's the opposite. We see a miracle, A, they deny it, B, they try and crush it up, and C, they try and kill the guy who did the miracle. Yes. So, not actually working. The Great Commission says, and these signs shall follow those that believe. And if you turn around and look at them, you'll fall over. Yeah. Yes, I like. Oh, I like that. I'm glad that's recorded. <laughs> yes, they will. Signs accompany the preaching of the gospel as well. Yes, but they don't often go before. Accompany the preaching of the gospel, preaching. Yeah. Yes, and in this case, uh, they're not. They don't have as, as a positive effect as you might think. But there's in this chapter eight, Acts fourteen. There's no mention of the work of the Holy Spirit. These things occur, but uh, there's no attribution to the Spirit. Acts fifteen. Uh, verse 8, the Holy Spirit is a sign that the Gentiles are accepted as brethren into the kingdom. That was a big deal because the term brethren, adalfu, uh, uh, brother, achi, achim, had only ever been used as Jews. Jews talking to Jews. Gentiles were something else. Now suddenly that barrier had been separated and they were brothers. They are part. We, as Gentiles, are brothers with our Jewish brothers. That is a nice thought. Acts 15.28, the Holy Spirit is attributed as agreeing to a decision by the Jerusalem Council. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, right? Humans and the Holy Spirit can work together in the decision-making process. That's an interesting thought. In Acts 16, the Holy Spirit seems to be interchangeable with the term the Spirit of Jesus, which very rare term, and it forbids the companions to entering a region for mission. Now, isn't that interesting? Normally, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the gospel here. And he says, no, no. You're like, what? What do you mean, no? I mean, who says no? Okay. People are baptized and the community grows without the mention of the Spirit and His activity, apart from, don't go there. Okay. Acts 17. We find a successful mission experience in several cities. This is Thessalonica, uh, Berea, and Athens, which are started from studies in the scriptures. They walk into a town and Paul goes into a synagogue and he studies with the scriptures. He doesn't do a miracle. And guess what happens? 
There's no mention of miracles or dynamic speeches, nor the work of the Holy Spirit, yet the humble approach seems the most successful. Now, isn't that interesting? Sometimes we look at the dynamic missionary and we think, oh, it's wonderful. But the quiet guy, he went, he wrestled with the scriptures, and people came to faith, and they started a community of which many still exist. We can all know that there are some very powerful speakers who do amazing tent crusades. We're not going to mention any names. And lots of people run to the altar, and yet we go back to those cities several years later and discover that very few of them have maintained the faith. However, the little-known lady who showed up and faithfully started a Bible study in her home, gathered a small group of people, and then 10 years later, they're still there. Perhaps the humble approach it's where the Holy Spirit's actually sitting. Okay, Acts 18. Paul and the companions spend two years in Corinth. New characters are introduced. Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos. Discussion about the baptism of John, but no mention of the Holy Spirit. Might have been a good time to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but that's not actually what you get in the text. Doesn't mean they didn't talk about him. Just means the text isn't mentioning that phrase. So in Acts 16... You don't get a lot. Yet you have two years in Corinth with not a lot said about what's actually occurring. Uh, Acts 19, in verse 2, the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned two times in this verse in a discussion to the Ephesians about the baptism of John. So here we do get it, but in the context of, of Ephesians. Although the text says of receiving the Spirit upon believing, people can have a knowledge of the Messiah without the Holy Spirit. Right? These people say, oh, no, no, we, we know about the Messiah. We were baptized into John. He never told us about the Holy Spirit at all. So they come along and say, well, there is a Holy Spirit, and you probably should be baptized in him. And so they do. Acts 19, verse 6, this Ephesians receive the Holy Spirit after the laying on of hands. Okay? They speak in tongues, but it is not described which tongues. Okay, So it could be could have been a human tongue it just it just says okay no there isn't another human that says oh i hear him in my language yeah. uh, and they prophesy okay the text deliberately says they do that which is what is in the, the prophet joel so we expect that yeah. event to be occurring uh success and growth of the church produces opposition the holy spirit does not stop opposition from happening rather supports the oppressed to endure okay so just because you have bad things happening to you doesn't mean you're doing things wrong. Acts, Acts 20, verse 28. Paul encourages the elders of the community, declaring that the Holy Spirit has created them as shepherds to shepherd the flock. The Holy Spirit appoints overseers. In uh, episkopos in Greek, what we call bishops today. Okay. Uh, what then should our relationship be to our appointed overseers? If Paul is true, and I think he is true because he is saying it, okay, that uh, the Holy Spirit is appointing our shepherds, what should be our relationship with our shepherds? Think about that. Okay? Um, sometimes it's very easy to go, oh, I don't like that guy, or I don't like this. Hang on a second. He's appointed by the Holy Spirit. Be very careful. Okay? Yep. Yes, because you know, if the Holy Spirit is the one saying, "Look, yeah, this is yeah, going to be my shepherd for this community, right. and I want to really work through this guy," um, and if the Holy Spirit can work through obedience, 
hmm, perhaps there should be this relationship. I'm not sure. We have to be careful, okay? But, the, but for here, Paul encourages, he's encouraging the elders of the community, saying, brothers, he's telling them, you better be careful. Because, and James also mentions it. If you are an elder, you're going to get judged a bit harsher. Because, A, you're appointed by the Holy Spirit. So, guard this, be careful. Okay? You, you, this is uh, who, who's... who's I'm, I'm wanting to, to look after my community. <coughs> Acts 21 verse 11, the Holy Spirit speaks through the prophet Ab- Ab- Agabus. Okay, so perhaps this is how the Holy Spirit actually does his speaking, um, which begs the question, why not simply speak to Paul directly or in a vision? Okay, but sometimes the Holy Spirit actually likes to talk th- to a human through. We have no clue. Who, 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 did he talk? He talk. Yeah, he, he comes up twice, yeah. and he's the a prophet that um, clearly has. You know, he's demonstrative in the way he conveys his message. Um, is this biblical? Is this scriptural? It's in Yeah, yeah, it's in action. He he predicted a prophesied a famine in the land, and when it, and it happened. And where would we find all this? Acts twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But also on this occasion, he's saying to Paul, you know. Uh, the, p- the person whose belt this belongs to, and he wraps it around his own arms. He's, this is how he, this man is going to be tied up and bound. And it, it was a dramatic warning for uh, Paul um, to be aware of what was ahead. And Paul kind of knew what was ahead anyway. So I'm yeah. talking about a name of someone. Agabus yeah, is his name, Agabus. yes. And was he a name for anything else? Um, no, we, I mean, he appears twice in the scriptures. He's a, we don't know much about he's a real person. He's a real, he's person. A real person. He's a real person. And he, I think he must have been renowned for being a, the kind of prophet that just didn't say warm and comforting words, but he told it how it was, and he was entrusted with deep insight into situations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's how it I mean, we don't have a lot of information on it, but he's, he comes, he seems to stand alone as an individual prophet. In other words, someone, when it says the, the Lord has appointed apostles and prophets. He would have been a prophet, recognized as such. One of the untruths is that uh, both in the Jewish world and in the Christian world, mainly because we're borrowing it from the Jewish world, is that there was a phrase, because it occurs in the Talmud, uh, that prophecy had ceased. Uh, in the Second Temple period, yeah. that's actually not true. Got that yeah, that's that's just that's actually just not true. There are many books which are in other people's Bibles that mention angelic visions, prophecies, prophets. Uh, we and in the New Testament as well. When Jesus is a small baby and he goes into the temple, he is visit. He goes to Anna the prophetess. So she obviously, and she's been there like for like 90 years. So for 90 years prior to Jesus, there's been a prophet in the temple. And she probably was not the only one. Um, Agabus is a prophet. Other prophets occur that, uh, in, in Acts that are unnamed. Silas is a prophet. When, Paul, when they have a discussion and, and Barnabas goes off with Mark, it says, Paul takes Silas and Silas was a prophet. So, of course, why would, you know, it's nice to have a prophet around. However, Silas never says anything, like, you know, which I always find amazing. It's like, you just told me that that guy's a prophet, and then never tell me anything he said. 
Um, so either he wasn't a very good one, or it's whatever he said was not recorded. Do we understand the purpose, because I don't, regarding this? Because, yes, the Holy Spirit speak, is speaking through the prophet Agabus, and he warns Paul what's going to happen to him if he goes up to Jerusalem. So he is warning him, but Paul... He goes anyway. He goes there anyway. But why would... If that's the case of being led by the Spirit up to Jerusalem, why would the Spirit warn him... Oh, well, I know. Maybe I'm understanding a bit better now. Uh, he's warning him, but Paul don't want... He's going to go anyway. Yeah. Is it just to prepare him? I don't know. It's a good question. What do you think, guys? You understand me though, because I've often wondered about this particular instance. So anyway, I think it, maybe it means that... Was the, is, is prophecy uh, something that you're instructed not to do? Right. Or is prophecy something that you're instructed to do? Or is prophecy something else? Or perhaps it's all of the above. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are different types of prophets in... Even in the Hebrew Bible, there's literary prophet. There's the guy that writes stuff. Yeah. Right? And then there's these other things called prophets. We have, and they don't say anything. Like even Saul prophesied. Yeah. But we have no idea what that was because it's not written down. Yeah. So there was, this, there was this function in the society called the prophet. Yeah. And we don't, we don't know what that function was. Because it's not listed down. The prophets do the following thing in, in your community. But we do know that in the New Testament, there are prophets in our community. In fact, because of the prophet Joel, Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh, and what should we all be doing? Prophecy. Right. But obviously, prophecy isn't something where you just walk around and go, tomorrow you're going to meet a girl in a red dress. Ooh, I can't wait. You know? <laughs> like, that, that's not what happens. Okay? Um, but... but so, so perhaps we should look at prophecy as perhaps in its Jewish context uh, of what it is. In this case, the prophet comes to, to Paul. I'll read the two verses. Excellent. That, that would help. <clears throat> um, Agabus says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you doing this, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I think what's going on here is that the Lord is making really clear to Paul what's up ahead. It's going to be really difficult. And he could take another view, take another course, and it wouldn't be seen. So it's, it's going to be okay. If you, if you kind of take another course, I'm still with you. But it, just to know this is what's going to happen. And... And, and Paul had faced all sorts of uh, difficulty. In fact, you know, being, he's preparing it. Yeah, yes, he's preparing it. And, and he, he faced beating stoning and shipwreck and all sorts <laughs> of things. Yeah. And Paul was going up to Jerusalem, a bit analogous to the way that Jesus, with resolution, faced yeah. his journey to Jerusalem with his disciples. He knew what was going to happen. So I think Paul is partly getting inspiration from that what yeah. Jesus did, the way Jesus did, and he was not going to be turned away from it. And maybe his attitude, Paul's attitude was the right one, whereas the others were kind of, could have been a distraction to him. Yeah, um, I mean, they were giving him the opportunity to decline without it being a sin. There would have been, whether Paul had done 
going up to Jerusalem or not, there would, no sin would have been involved. No, no. Just you're being giving the warning. If you do this, this is what happens. Right, okay. Yeah. It's not the same thing when Yeshua says to the disciples, who do men say I am? And Peter says, he wants, you know, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then the very next minute, yeah. Yeah. he's saying to them, I will go with you anywhere. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, you won't die. You won't do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Only just a thought. It seems like one person's giving what they consider to be good advice. Well, in Peter's case, he was and definitely wrong. It yeah. yeah. turns out to be not so good after all. Yeah. 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 Person does their own thing anyway. And sometimes when God doesn't really like, you know, for example, if one season is ending and you're going to another season, you're like, Lord, what is happening? Show me. And he doesn't. Mm. What? In this case, I'm glad he doesn't. Because I don't know what if I would do what Paul did or go opposite, you know? Yeah. Paul has some very interesting visions in, in Acts. My favorite is when he's, uh, when Jesus, he's in prison. Jesus comes to him. Jesus comes to him and says, you've been a witness for me in Jerusalem. You'll be a witness for me in Rome. And then promptly leaves. And you go, oh, awesome. But what Jesus didn't tell Paul is it's going to take another two years, another shipwreck, snake bites, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, You know, they, that bit was not said. You know. <laughs> it's interesting to say again about when, when they couldn't go to Asia, the Holy Spirit something going in. Yeah. Think, oh, I've heard of, why are you stopping me? Then you go to Macedonia. Yeah. yeah. You end up in prison. Yes, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. You mean, you, you, you didn't send me there because, because of this? And, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's this guy with a big spear going, I wish he'd come here. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah. It's the whole obedience thing. Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. This obedience bit, which also links into having or not having or hearing from or possessing the, the Spirit of God. You see, what you just said, uh, I think that connects, uh, you know, regarding Peter. One minute the Lord commends him, blessed are thou, Simon, and so on. Then he rebukes him, he's going to get the behind Satan. Yes. So, really. It just shows you how Peter, the apostle, just like us, he, he needs to repent from that, this must never happen to you, Lord, to realise this has to happen to him. Yeah. I think it's between operating in the flesh, operating in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the revelation of Jesus, he's operating from the revelation of the Holy Spirit, yes. the revelation of who Jesus was. That's right. But then the human aspect of... Oh, I don't need to die. Hang on a minute. I don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. Just found the Messiah. Yeah, well, yeah, why yeah. Alright, so just finishing it up. So from Acts 21, we then have six chapters without a single reference to the person, work, or attribution of the Holy Spirit. This includes Paul's arrest, trials, journey from Caesarea to Rome, and a shipwreck on Malta. So you have all of these events. You have, you have angelic visions. You have Jesus showing up and talking. You have all kinds of stuff. But there's no mention of, well, the Holy Spirit did this, and the Holy Spirit encouraged him, and you don't get it. Now, just because sometimes in our life, sometimes it might seem a little dearth of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean he's not there, does it? It even happens to our heroes. Uh, finally, when we're in Rome, the final reference, which is the 40th, okay, the 40th reference to the, the term the Holy Spirit, uh, he mentions that he had spoken already through the literary prophet Isaiah, is that the Holy Spirit speaks. He has spoken through literary prophets. He has spoken through um, humans. 
He spoke through Jesus. He spoke through prayers. And uh, he spoke through prophets. And in some cases, just spoke. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and the final reference is, is, is taking it back to, he's also spoken through, through the literary prophet. So there you go. There's a cross section. Uh, just when you thought you had the Holy Spirit in a box, nope. <laughs> he goes all over the place. He is in control. He is working stuff out. Not always clear, but it's working. You can. There are negative things. The Holy Spirit doesn't always heal. It's not always your cuddle bunny. Sometimes uh, you can test, resist, lie, as consequences. Sometimes he is a gift. And sometimes you have to obey. Sometimes he's not there. And sometimes he's speaking loud and clear. Sometimes uh, he's doing it through a friend. Sometimes he's doing it through your book. You know, some people say, does the Lord still speak? Yes. <laughs> Start praying. <laughs> He'll talk through it. He might talk through a friend. He might talk uh, through a dream. But uh, he's definitely not quiet. Because he's still talking to this day. Um, and, there are, and there are yet some sections where he doesn't speak. I also happen to like in the text that it's, it's not always the flashy glamour. Oh, we love flashy glamour. I'm not saying we don't love it. We love it. But it's not always the most successful. Okay. Do we always be careful. Don't, do not ignore humble people. Do not ignore the, the small, still voice. Because the Holy Spirit can, can build something that lasts forever. So, brothers and sisters, thank you for having a great wrestle with the text, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.